0: I love going to the zoo, and not just on Friday as we gather in the zoo, but I have always loved going to a zoo. I think there's just something wondrous about seeing God's amazing creations just up close. And as much as I love going to the zoo, I also think that there's something, I don't know, maybe unnatural about seeing enclosed animals that aren't allowed to go run free or caged birds that can't go soar high into the heavens. But if you think about it, the truth is that even if those wild animals were allowed to go free back into the wild, they would not really be free. Not in the ultimate sense of the word. A.W. Tozer describes it this way. He says, to be free as a bird, is not to be free at all. For the supposedly free bird actually lives in its entire life in a cage, made of fears, hunger, and instincts. It is limited by weather conditions, food supply, predatory beasts. The freest bird is, along with every other created thing, held in constant check by a net of necessity. Only God is free. Psalm 115 verse three says, Our God is in the heavens and He does all that He pleases. So God is not like us or anything else that's created for that matter. God has no need. God has no limitations. He has no net of necessity. Nothing and no one can stop him, hinder him in any way. The freedom of God means that he is completely free to do as he pleases everywhere and forever. And so this freedom that God has means that he has absolute and universal authority, so, our God has all authority. But if we think just for a moment, it's really quite silly to even try to debate or argue against God having all authority. I mean, can you imagine God having to ask for permission of anyone else before he does something? I mean, who's higher than the highest? And, like, what governing body would God have to go appeal to or, or get permission from or, or to get power or authority? To, to what throne would God kneel before? See, God stands alone. God's Word makes it very clear that this triune God revealed in the Scriptures, revealed Himself through the person of Jesus Christ, who indwells his people through his Holy Spirit, this one true God revealed in the Holy Bible is above everything and everyone. He is above every other God. He is above every other philosophy. He is above every other religion. He is above every other religious leader. He stands above and he stands alone with no equal, no rival. Our God stands supreme. He is sovereign. And so today we're considering seeing the sovereignty of God. Isaiah 44. We'll be reading in verses 6 through 8. The prophet Isaiah 44, 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, And his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Powerful verses. The one true God, again, has no rival, no challenger, no equal. The glory of God is evident to anyone who's had their eyes opened, their spiritual blindness removed by the Spirit of God. Let me give you the main idea from this text. This is the primary truth that God's revealing through this text. is that God displays his glory through his sovereignty over all of his creation. What we're seeing here is that God displays, he's revealing his glory through his sovereignty over all of his creation. Now let's define our terms. What does the word sovereign mean? Mean I have a definition here on the screen. The word sovereign means above or superior to all others. It mean chief, supreme in power, in rank, or authority. So this is just a textbook definition of what it means to be sovereign. Oftentimes you might hear on the newscast about a sovereign state. And so we talk about a sovereign state or sovereign country refers to being independent. And so that state is independent, self-governing from any other country. So the word sovereign refers to being independent, having authority. So being a sovereign refers to being a king or a ruler. So that's what it means. So to be sovereign means that you have ruling authority. And so God is sovereign. He is the king. He is the ruler over all the universe. He is independent. He has complete freedom, power, and authority. And so he rules as the sovereign over his entire creation. So God is displaying his glory through his sovereignty over all of his creation. So, how does God reveal his sovereignty? How does he reveal that he is a king who has all authority and supreme power, ruling, standing alone? How does he make this known? You can see in the Bible. Okay, good. We're done. Answer. Well, yes, but it's, let's see what the Bible says about how he reveals his sovereignty from this text in Isaiah 44. There are three one in verse 6, one in verse 7, and one in verse 8. And so, first of all, in verse 6, how does God reveal His sovereignty? Number one, through His titles. So, God is revealing His sovereignty through His titles. You see that in verse 6. What does it say? It says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, besides me there is no God to God's revealing who he is and what he is like through his titles. Verse 6 says that he is Lord. What does the word Lord mean? Well, that's his personal name. Elohim is the general name, God. Lord is the word for his personal name. And so this telling us that God, yes, he is God, cosmic creator, all-powerful, but he's also God who comes near who is personal and wants you to know him, to enjoy him. He is Lord. It says he is king of Israel. So he is the king. He is the ruler with absolute authority. So he's personal, Lord, but he's also king. And we must submit to him and be under his kingship and his kingdom. It says redeemer. So he's also the redeemer, what does that mean? It means that he has provided a way for slaves to be set free. So to redeem means to pay the redemption price, the price to free a slave. And so this is pointing ultimately to Jesus who paid the redemption price. He's our redeemer so that we are no longer enslaved to sin, but we are free to know God, to worship him, to live for him. So we now we're in his kingdom We're members of it because we've been redeemed. We're set free from slavery to sin. It says he's Lord of hosts. What does that refer to? Lord of an army. And so the word host refers to a large angel army. And so he he is a commander who has a powerful army. He's victorious over the enemy is what it describes. When you see Lord of hosts, it refers to his victory. So I am the first and the last. Another title, in the New Testament, you see Alpha and Omega. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. So in the Greek, when you see Alpha and Omega, it means what you see here from the original Hebrew, first and last. Beginning and the end. He is infinite with no beginning and no end. He stands alone. So all of these various titles in verse 6, if we just stop and look at what they mean, it's describing who God is and what he is like. And it's screaming, he is sovereign. See him, be in awe of him, bow before him, and find your whole identity and all your whole life in him. Which is why all summer we have been considering seeing God. Throughout this series, we've been learning how we will become what we behold. We become what we are beholding. And so we take on the character we become, whatever has our focus. So you are worshiping whatever you are beholding. And we will always take on the character of what we worship. Which is why Isaiah 44, verse 6, describes God's glorious character through all of these titles. And then verse 6 ends how? It ends with saying, besides me there is no God. So God is revealing who he is so that we will see him with our eyes of faith. So we will then be amazed in the presence of God. So we can then bow down before Him and submit, surrender to His authority, put our hope in Him, our complete trust in Him, find our joy in Him, have our hearts transformed by His Spirit. This begins with seeing Him and then all of that results so that we can reflect His glory, reflect the character that we're seeing and being conformed to through His Spirit. And so we are saved by seeing the glory of Jesus. That's what it is to be saved. Having your eyes opened to your sin and to what Jesus did, dying on the cross for you. And then you respond with trusting in him. So when you see his glory, that's when you're saved. But then for you to grow, continue to change and overcome sinful habits where you are reflecting his character more and more. That happens by continuing to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We indeed become what we behold. And so we need daily reminders of who God is. And so reading verses like Isaiah 44, where we're seeing who God is, are important for our soul. We need this to read the Word and to meditate, to think on it, and to spend time talking to God through prayer so that these truths sink in deep, so that we will be changed. So are you struggling today with poor character? Now, the list can be quite long, but I'll give you, if you top my head, maybe things like gossip that we can so easily just look past. But it's a sin It'll devastate your soul and your relationships and a church. It's cancer. Do you listen to or indulge in gossiping? If you talk about someone then not in the room, you should talk well of that person. Because talk about me all you want if I'm not in the room. Just speak well of me. That's okay. But if you're going to speak poorly of me, then invite me, because I wouldn't be a part of the conversation. It's important that we talk about people well. And if we're going to speak poorly of them, it should be face-to-face with the gold reconciliation. This is important. But it's, it goes far beyond. That's just one example. Anger, control, different addictions, anxiety, lack of trust in God, lack of forgiving those who hurt us. Lust, a rebellious spirit that only wants what it wants. There's so many different ways that our character is not reflecting the character of God. And if we're having a struggle in one of these areas, the question is, where is your focus? What are you beholding? Because likely your focus is not on Jesus, it's focus on self. And so my prayer has been throughout this series and for our church and moving forward, this is my prayer. That the heavens will open up to you that the heavens will open and that you will then see him, see Jesus, see his incredible majesty and beauty and goodness and wisdom and power and sovereignty. We've been considering all summer. May you see him and may you be stunned and just overwhelmed by him. And so I'm praying that for our faith family, the heavens will open, that we will see him. And that happens, we meditate on passages such as this one in Isaiah 44. where We see the truth of who God is and spend time in his presence in prayer, talking to him. So God reveals his sovereignty through his titles. But number two, he reveals his sovereignty through his complete control over human history. So he reveals sovereignty through his complete control over human history. You see that in verse 7. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appoint an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Who is like our God? He's saying no one is like me. And he's proving that he has supreme power and authority over his complete control over all of human history. Verse 7 says that he has appointed an ancient people. So God appointed, God intentionally is doing this. And so God chose a people Now, remember, God has loved us before we loved him. We saw that last week in 1 John 4, seeing the love of God, that I loved you before you loved me. And so God loved us. He pursued us from the very beginning. God has been saving and transforming a people that within, of course, human history, who will know him, who will love him and who will have their hearts changed to then have a driving life's passion to then reflect his glory to the nations so that more people will know him and love him and reflect his glory so that then more people will get to know him and enjoy him and love him and reflect his glory. And it goes on until history comes to its appointed end. See, history is not this random, meaningless collection of events. It's not. Our atheist friends would say that it is, that it's meaningless, that it's random and not going anywhere per se. But it's not true. God has appointed a people within human history that will come to its appointed end where King Jesus will rule over his People. So you're going to have a resurrected king being praised forever by a resurrected people living on a resurrected earth. This is where history is moving, where the evil enemy will be defeated and we will enjoy him and his glory forever. And so history is not spiraling out of control. It could seem that way, but it's not. He's in complete control. Now, in order for our God to have complete rule and sovereignty over his creation, that means that he must be all-knowing and all-powerful and absolutely free. Now, just think about it for one second. If there was one fact, one piece of wisdom or one piece of information that God did not understand... was not aware of that would mean he's limited if there was even just one fact that he didn't know he'd be limited Colossians 1 16 and 17 tells us quite the opposite that he is not limited Colossians 1 16 and 17 read earlier in the worship gathering Everything He is all-powerful. He created everything. So if there is one molecule, just one molecule in all of creation that God does not have control over, that he would have limited power and limited authority. Therefore, he would not be sovereign over his creation. If there was one stray atom, that was beyond the power and control of God, then it would break down his entire kingdom and rule and purpose. So there is not one reality, there is not one even piece of dust that is not under the authority and power of God. Now, this understanding of God's sovereignty, if we're honest, creates two difficulties, two major challenges that I'm sure, if we raise our hands, several of you have already identified. Now, the first, the first challenge with God's sovereignty is that of pain and evil. If God is sovereign and control, and if he is good, then why is there pain and evil in the world? Why does it exist? Well, God originally made the world good, and we trust that God uses pain to accomplish his good purposes. So yes, we're honest. There is evil and there is pain in this world, and God does allow it to exist, but not forever. Think back to a few weeks ago, we talked about the justice of God, He will make all things right. There will not be one wrong that will be left wrong. He will bring complete justice and equity to the world. He is a good judge. He sees every pain. He sees every wrong. And he is keeping a meticulous record because he knows everything. And he is going to have every sin paid for. Every single one. Whether through Christ on the cross or through the individual rejecting Christ forever in hell. But there will not be one wrong that will be left wrong, it will be made right. And so we trust our God that he uses even great pain to grow us, to sanctify us, and he displays his glory, and he uses it for our own good. And so I don't have much more of an answer than that, except to say that it does exist and God is still good and sovereign, and he will make all things right. But another difficulty that arises with God's sovereignty is that of free will. This is a challenge. If God is sovereign over everything, does that mean that we can't make our own choices? Do, do we not have any free will? Are we basically just robots, pre-programmed, or are we just like puppets, and God is pulling the strings do we have genuine free will? Well, as, as image bearers of God, we are moral agents. Every one of us has the ability to know right from wrong, and we will be held accountable by our God for our free will choices. So the answer is yes, humans do have genuine free will. Now, how can we make choices freely. And if we're honest, oftentimes make very foolish choices. And yet, a sovereign God is accomplishing His purposes with complete control over creation. How is that possible? Well, let me give you a very theological answer that I learned in seminary, okay? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how a God who is completely sovereign in God's word makes it clear that he is sovereign. And he must be sovereign if he is God. Because God cannot be God if he's not sovereign. By his very nature, he is sovereign. And yet, by our nature, he has given us free will. And so even our free will choices are under the sovereign will of God. And so this is something that a finite mind, like us, our finite minds cannot understand an infinite God. We must be willing to accept a degree of messiness in our theology and in our Lives. We must learn to live with this tension, this divine tension. God is sovereign. He chose you. This is in the Bible. Election is clearly taught in the Bible. He loved you first. You didn't find Jesus, He found you you were lost in your sin and in your darkness and Jesus removed your blindness and but then it's also true that you responded with trust and repentance out of your own free will and your own choice and the scriptures reveal both and so we have to be okay with living with this tension and saying god you understand i trust you i don't have to have all the answers in a perfectly neat theology i'm okay with living in this tension. I'm okay with that. Are you okay with it? The sovereignty of God oftentimes divides churches, which baffles my mind, but it actually does, because there are some that say, oh, well, we're in this camp. Oh, no, no, we're in this camp. And it's like, what? we're just one camp. We're the people of God, saved by the blood of Jesus and dwelt by a spirit. We're brothers and sisters. We're one. And so even if we disagree on on the minutia of how this tension works out, it really is okay. It is okay. See, God's sovereignty is not designed to be a theology that divides God's people. The sovereignty of God, revealed in the word of God, is designed to give you hope. God's sovereignty is revealed to give you comfort, and it's designed to give you courage to tell others about Jesus because it doesn't rest all in your shoulders. He's bigger than you, but we have the privilege of being used by God. And so those who know that God is sovereign ought to be the biggest evangelists on this planet. We have to tell people about Jesus because they need to hear that there's a God who is in control and their lives are not meaningless or or out of control. But God loves them and it's on us to tell them. And so God's sovereignty gives us hope and gives us comfort and courage to share with the lost but also courage to change in the face of great pain. Or in the face of a pending medical report, in the face of a job that's uncertain, or when you face some serious marriage problems, or when you face a loved one dying, or when your soul is just overcome with bitterness, where do you turn? Where are you going to turn? You're going to turn to an addiction to give you a sense of hope or comfort? To your job? To shopping? To eating? You're going to turn to another person to satisfy you? Really? You think they're going to be able to? You must rest your soul in Jesus. You must turn to Him, your sovereign. God, who is magnificent and wise and good and powerful and has all authority, we must run to the refuge of our sovereign God who really has complete control over the situation. So, if today you're facing a hard situation, you must know and believe that God has allowed it. He did not make a mistake who you married was not a mistake that job not a mistake that that difficulty that is just overwhelming you god didn't mess up he is sovereign he is good and he's going to use it to display his glory through your life as you trust him and he's going to use it for your good this is what god's sovereignty is meant To be, it gives us hope and courage and purpose. See, God reveals his sovereignty so that we can see it and then be transformed by it and then reflect it through your life so that, again, more people can come and join us in praising him. He is our king. He is sovereign. So do you live an obedient life under the authority of King Jesus? Don't answer that too quickly. Are you living an obedient life under the authority of your King Jesus? What do you care about most? What are you most concerned about? What tends to dominate your conversations? These are all key things that we need to consider because they they will help us get a better idea of are we being honest with ourselves or not? Are we obediently submitting to our king? Maybe you're here in the room today and you have never surrendered to King Jesus. Maybe because you're afraid. Maybe because you know that deep down inside that he actually is sovereign and you're a little bit afraid of that. Maybe you think if, if I submit or, or surrender to God and I give him my life, I don't know what he's going to do with it. Who knows where he's going to send me or what troubles He might bring my way. Like, I don't know that I can trust God with my life. And so I'm going to just hold on to it and try to control my life so that I know it's going to be good based upon how I want it to look. And I don't, I don't want to give it to God because that's scary. He is good. You have to know this, we talked about this last week. The word is clear, He loves you, He has a good plan for you and if you continue to resist His sovereignty, you will only make yourself miserable because you are not sovereign. You do not have control over your life, you might think you do, deceive yourself. But it's going to all come crashing down eventually because we are not God. You are not sovereign. And so the sooner that we submit to him and enjoy him, the better our life will be. And even if it's hard, I can't guarantee that it won't. As a matter of fact, I guarantee it probably will be hard. We're not in heaven yet. When it's hard, you will have his grace You will have his presence. He will sustain you, and you will have joy and peace in the middle of the challenges. And So God is revealing his sovereignty through his titles, but also through his complete control over your life. Number three, he reveals his sovereignty through keeping his promises. He reveals that he's sovereign by keeping his promises. So then in verse 8, it, well, verse 7 ends by saying that God declares what is to come and what will happen. And then verse 8 says, fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. And so, verse 7 ends by saying that he declares what is to come. And then, here, verse 8 again emphasizes that he knows the future, that he knows what's going to happen, and he declares it. But so, here's the key God doesn't just know the future, God brings it to fruition. There's a difference and knowing what's going to happen, and actively making it happen. And God stands outside of time, and he not only can see all of human history, but he's causing it to unfold where he wants to take it. Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5 tell us when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so God was orchestrating time. He was working all the events that would come together to bring Jesus Messiah, to bring us our salvation. And so all the promises in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah, the Son of Man, the suffering servant, the Son of David, the King, all these promises were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ who came and died for us, was resurrected. It gives us his righteousness and his spirit and gives us this promised hope of the resurrection. Jesus did it all. And Jesus proves that God Keeps his promises. 10 Corinthians 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, Jesus. That is why through him we utter an amen to God for his glory. And so we praise God for his glory because he sent Jesus and all of God's promises are a yes in Jesus. And so we serve a promise-making, promise-keeping God. And so if you're here today and you are trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, your guilt and your shame have been paid for. Christ has been powerfully resurrected. And so what is the result? It says in verse 8, fear not, nor be afraid. The sovereignty of God pushes away the fear. Because God loves you. And you can trust him because he's all-wise, all-powerful, and he's got this. So we don't have to be afraid. Fear not, nor be afraid. God, who makes and keeps promises, should fill us with courage to face whatever life brings us. So are you fearful or anxious about tomorrow? Well, do you serve a God who is sovereign, who loves you? If you do, then you can rest your soul in this sovereign God. Do you have maybe a sinful pattern that you know you've been kind of toying with, but you know that God's spirit is even not speaking to you, saying, enough, my son, my daughter, enough. You know, playing around with that sin, it's time to deal with it and to overcome it and to walk in integrity and to be restored and healed and have healthier relationships and you can experience my presence so much more is it time will you come out of the shadows and into the light will you share that with a fellow brother or sister and be honest and let us pray with you and for you that you will be healed Will you let go of whatever is keeping you from enjoying God's fullness, anger, bitterness, self-pity, what pride, whatever it is, will you let go and cling to a sovereign God who so loves you and has promised and has kept those promises? He's in complete control. He is sovereign. Will you stop fighting him and trust his promise-making, promise-keeping God, when we together bow before him. My prayer, again, that these heavens will open, that we'll see Jesus be so real to us that we will just live lives for his glory where more people will come in and experience the same joy and peace.